0: Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the CogniCast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. So I want to mention an event that's happening in Munich, Germany on February 6th. Uh, It's put on by Coffee Table Coders, and you can find them at coffeetablecoders.com. Philip Meyer um, will be doing a session on Liberator, which is a closure library for... um, doing database web services. Uh, looks pretty interesting. Um, but we're not associated with that, just uh, saw that event and thought we would make you aware of it. Uh, looks like he's doing that with Thorsten Bloom. So um, if you see still available, again, go to coffeetablecoders.com, click on workshops, you'll get all the details there. You can sign up if you like. Uh, the other thing I wanna mention is that the Closure West CFP call for proposals, it is open, but it will close February 11th. So that's uh, coming up pretty quick here. I guess depends on when you listen to this, but in terms of when I'm recording it, anyway, time and all that. Um, yeah, so you can uh, you can buy tickets to Closure West. Um, at, they're on sale now, although the early bird tickets sold out like really fast. So probably would not be a terrible idea to um, go and get your tickets if you are planning to go to the conference. I would encourage you to if you can. Uh, it's in Portland, Oregon, um, and uh, it should be a good show. Uh, there will be training ahead of the conference. More, there'll be details about that on the website. Um, so if you are interested in the training, but you're not able to make it to the conference, I would remind you that we will um, work with you to do training at your location. Uh, you can contact us in any of the various ways, tweet at Cognitech, email at info at uh, We're not very hard to find and we're very friendly. So reach out if you'd like uh, us to talk to you about doing some training at a location of your choice um, or sign up for the training before Closure West if you're going to be there. Uh, I think that's all I have for you today in terms of announcements. So we will go on to episode 72 of the Cogmicast. go. So, all right. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Cognacast. Today is Wednesday, November 12th in the year 2014, and our guest today is Kim Foster. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks, Craig. And so a lot of you will recognize her name uh, since Kim is uh, not only a fellow Cognitect, but also the producer of this show. Uh, now, Kim, we have a, a newly minted tradition here. As as the producer of the show, you know this, of course, but I'll, for our listeners, I'll explain is that uh, we ask our guests to share something about some bit of art, uh, you know, that could be a concert you went to or a painting you've seen or a sculpture, something you've done, but some, some artistic experience. And we often talk tech on the show, so it's good to, to keep grounded with the, uh, another part of, the, of human experience. So uh, is there anything, anything along those lines you'd like to, to share with the
1: listeners? Um, sure. I'm going to have to think of what the name of it is. Um, way back in my history, I was a dancer. So some of the most moving art experiences I've had were dance and, um, particularly like the Alvin Ailey dance company. And they do a piece that's very, um, very American. It's called revelation. And it is to some Aaron Copeland music and to some, African-American spirituals and really conveys religious life in the South. And having grown up in the South as the granddaughter of a minister, that was a very meaningful piece to me.
0: Hmm. So you said it's an American, it's very American. Is Mm -hmm. that that what makes it American? Is that 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 it's about that experience or was there something about the dance itself that's American?
1: Well, it's a, it's a very American topic. Certainly. One of the reasons I love Alvin Ailey's dance company so much is that they're, um, the company itself is made up of dancers who are kind of, who were at the forefront of the modern dance world as modern dance evolved. Um, because they're, much more athletic and muscular, not your typical um, ballet dancer body type. So it was um, you know, a real change in the dance world to watch a company like them hmm. perform.
0: Cool. Well, that sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, the male dancers might, some of them might be well over six feet tall. The the women are not necessarily the tall, really thin people. Their, you know, body types are very diverse um, and just a really physical dance company, no matter what piece they're performing.
0: So that makes me think of um, gymnasts, actually.
1: Um. In, in some respects, yes. I mean, the dance, the style of the dance was still very, um, was much more musical than than I think of when I think of gymnastics. Gotcha. All
0: right, well, great. Well, that was, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if we might start off, uh, since I told people that you're the producer and they hear, if they're listening at the end of the show, they hear your name after every episode. Um, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your role as producer, uh, what, you know, what you do for the show. Cause I mean, I personally know that it's a lot <laughs> because everything that you do for the show now I used to do, uh, at, at one point or another. And uh, so so very, very happy to have you doing it and doing it well. So uh, what does what it, what does it mean that you are the producer of the CogniCast?
1: So, and I'm really happy to be helping. It's something new for me in a lot of ways. And so it's a fun part of my role here at Cognitech. In a lot of cases, I Pull from the skills that make up my main role here at Cognitech, which is recruiting. A lot of producing the podcast has to do with getting in touch with people and scheduling and making sure things happen when they're supposed to, which is not unlike running the interview process. Mm -hmm. And then some of the technical things that I do, things that are technical to me as a non-programmer, are actually put together the blog post. One of the things that I view as a huge learning opportunity for me is I actually really enjoy pulling together the show notes, which means I listen to every episode before it is released and pull together a list of topics that We believe to be relevant and enriching as a part of listening to the podcast so that the links are readily available to listeners and they can go straight there while they're listening or immediately after they listen to the episode. For me, that's really a learning experience because unlike a lot of listeners who might know something about many of the things that our guests talk about, Oftentimes I know nothing about some things that they're talking about. So the, the very process of finding meaningful links to support our episodes is a huge learning experience for me.
0: So do you have any – so first of all, let me just say thanks because I don't, I don't know if I've talked about this in the show or not before. But there have been points in the history of our almost – well, I guess over three years by the time this show goes out where I've been – like, you know, I am going to need to change something, right? Either slow down the rate at which we produce episodes or get some help. And, you know, people have always stepped up, you know, you in particular and Russ um, as well. Uh, so I really appreciate the, the fact that you do the show notes. And it is it is a big deal. Like I said, having done it, it's not, it's not you know, five minutes with Google. Um, but I wonder whether there's any, you mentioned that you always learn things. I wonder if there's anything that you remember learning from doing the research on one of the shows you've done that, that was especially memorable for you? Were there any terminology that you'd heard hurled around the office that you're like, Oh, now I know what that
1: means. (laughs) Uh, So I think one of the episodes that I really enjoyed doing, going back to the performance question a little bit is the episode with Sam Aaron. Mm. I think it's very interesting just listening to him talk about tying, you know, he has a very different definition of live coding than some of the people I've heard speak at conferences. Um, And the fact that when he says live coding, he actually means putting together what he and many people consider a work of art is really tying the disciplines together in a way that I hadn't really seen it done up close and personal before. Hmm. So that was interesting to me. I'm trying to think... I think I can't remember if it was Will Birds episode where I asked you if um, if the notes were going to be too technical when I listened to that episode um, because he was talking about um, you know talking about scheme and and all the technical things he had done that was probably one of the more technical episodes I've done sure. so I learned a lot about a lot of things in that Yeah
0: one. me too <laughs> Absolutely well, cool. Well, I definitely did want to take the uh, chance to introduce you to our listeners since you are there behind the scenes usually, although today you're our guest and we're happy to have you. Um, you're usually there behind the scenes uh, making the show happen, very much you know driving it towards uh, uh, production. Uh, but there actually was another thing, well, a couple of other things I can think of, uh, and maybe we'll sort of stay on the, your role at Cognitech stuff. So you mentioned that you're our recruiter, uh, and I wonder – I mean I, I suppose that's somewhat obvious, but I, I wonder if you could talk about your role – Uh, there for people that might not be familiar.
1: Mm -hmm. So I'm going to back up a little bit and just talk about my philosophy of recruiting. It's something I've been doing for for the majority of my career. I did have a career in public accounting before I became a recruiter. And so recruiting to me is a lot about matchmaking. It's easy to be a good recruiter if you listen to what what a company needs to hire, what their pain is and what problem they need to solve, which is not unlike consulting of any kind. And if you listen to what people want to do with their lives. And so I've kind of based my career recruiting around being really good at that, because if I'm some of the things that people don't like about recruiters kind of stereotypically are, the salesiness and the pushiness Mm. and I found that by being a really good listener to all the parties involved you just don't have to do that because it's so painfully obvious to everyone that we need to be working together if we have all the same goals and the skill set is correct and so I still view that as the biggest part of my role here at Cognitech is meeting people in the community and finding out what they, you know, how they feel about closure and what they want to do with it and putting that together with the things we're trying to accomplish here at Cognitive
0: So I'd like to drill in on that a little bit because, you know, here's your opportunity. You're speaking to mm-hmm. rather a large number of people, some of whom may have an interest in uh, working with us mm-hmm. uh, what what is the thing that you would tell them is our side of it right like what are we what, what is the problem that we're trying to solve that you you've discovered and you're doing this matchmaking process with mm-hmm. people out there who might be able to help us out
1: so uh, you know at a very detailed level what we're trying to do it is deliver tools and to create a development environment that um, developers enjoy working with. And that kind of is my high-level summary of what the product team is doing. And then on the consulting side of our business, we're trying to make sure that people in the community who are using Clojure have the resources they need to build the products they want to build, to train their people in the way they want to train and um, to support them when they use our um, products and when they use Clojure itself. So from that perspective, you know, right now, typically what we're interested in is finding people who are interested in working directly with our clients. Um, As a small company, we, our growth is um, controlled, and so we're not hiring a ton of people for the product team right now. I, you know, we certainly hope that will change in the future. Uh, and on the consulting side, we also try to control that growth in a way that is sustainable. So, oftentimes, um, we're more often than not looking for people who would be interested in freelancing with us. And that that can definitely be a win-win scenario for a lot of people. There are a lot of reasons people freelance. Some of it is because they like that business model. They enjoy the flexibility. They enjoy the ability to, to work and build up some uh, savings and then maybe to take some time off in between projects and work on things that they're personally interested in. So some people go through life with the goal of being a freelancer their entire career. Other people just need to fill in the gap between one job and the next opportunity and being able to keep the cash flow going and do some interesting work while they're looking for another job is a good thing for them. And then some people are certainly hoping that down the road there might be an employment situation that arises out of a contracting gig. And all of those things can happen at Cognitech. So, you know, I spend a lot of my time getting to know people who are interested in those kinds of business opportunities and then just learning what they care about so that when we have a project that we need some help with, um, our staffing committee, which I also serve on, can make um, some good decisions about who would be really excited to work on that project.
0: So if I'm if I'm in the audience and I'm like, I've been thinking to myself, <laughs> I would really like to work with Cognitech. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any kind of conditions you would say, well, if the following is true for you, then you shouldn't contact us? Or would you encourage everybody to reach out that is even remotely interested? You know what I mean? Like how can people decide whether or not they should, you know, uh, pick up the phone and, and, and ring you up?
1: So, you know, realistically... Ideally, I would like to meet everyone. Uh, I'm I'm interested in their story, for one. And secondly, for someone who's interested in closure and is just starting on their closure journey, connecting with us can be a really good resource um, to kind of make sure you're pointed on the right path to become commercially um, ready to work in closure every day. In terms of who I would recommend actually go through our evaluation process, that's a little bit more narrow pool. We, some of our listeners may know that we have a very extensive evaluation process that includes several sessions of remote pairing. And so realistically, if someone's not ready to work with the cognitech for a couple of hours and create meaningful closure code, it's gonna be a frustrating and difficult process for them. So when I talk to people who you know, interestingly enough, a lot of people have extensive background in other languages. So usually the the freelancer themselves is the best person to say. Whether or not they're ready to go through that process. So typically, I ask them. I say, you, you know, you're really experienced. You have lots of languages in your history. Do you think you're ready to sit down and pair um, and write closure code with somebody here at Cognitech? And most of the time, they're really accurate judges of themselves. Okay. And, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And if they if they say no, they're not ready. Then. My, I encourage them to stay in touch with us because, you know, we want to know what's going on in the community and how people are learning and growing. And I certainly want to talk to them again um, when they feel like they are ready to pair with us. And, and there are many people out there who, you know, saying, no, I'm not ready is not something that will uh, remove you from our candidate pool, if you will. It just means not now to me.
0: That's that's great, actually. Uh, you know, it's fun. I don't think we've ever actually, you and I sat down and talked about this part of it because, uh, uh, you know, despite the fact that I'm involved in interviews or something, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to me to hear this side of it from like the perspective of somebody who might just be talking to us, and get interested in getting working. Right. Now, is there is there a best way? I mean, there's lots of ways for people to reach us and, and people mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody to reach out to me since I'm if you're listening to the show, I'm fairly easy to find, but is there a good way for people to reach you? And, and are you the right, or to reach out in that context, I guess is really the question.
1: So, you know, from a systems and processes perspective, the most efficient way is to send an email to jobs at com. Sending an email directly to me, Kim at com will accomplish the same thing. Well, th- this is good. I'm, I'm, we, we've talked before on the show
0: about our process and everything, uh, although it, it's evolved, obviously, uh, but mm-hmm. um, you know, we always try to get better at everything. Um, right. but, uh, but that's actually not, I, I would like to leave that aside, not because it's not interesting, but because we have this other thing entirely <laughs> that I want to talk about, and I want to make sure we leave quite a bit of time to discuss it, because I think it's going to be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So you recently took uh, rather mm-hmm. a major uh, trip, isn't that right?
1: That is correct. I recently spent two weeks in Bangalore, India, which is by far the biggest, most involved excursion I've ever made.
0: Yeah, and uh, so what – What? give me some of the background. What, what led to this trip? And then there's, there's a very good reason that we're discussing it on this show. I mean we always like to get people's stories, especially – uh, someone like you, who's so intimately related with the show, but uh, right. but before we get to the that part of it, what uh, kind of how did you wind up uh, finding yourself on a plane going to Bangalore?
1: <laughs> so um, my husband is an engineer, and throughout both of our careers, we've always tried to take advantage of travel opportunities where the other one of us could go. So anytime we have the opportunities to travel for work, we tend to say yes. Um, and and the other of us joins in and, and does some traveling around on their own while the other person is working. So Robert had the opportunity to potentially go to India, and it has always been a place that was on my bucket list. I think that seeing movies and read books and I love the food, and it just seems to be... To me, I wanted to know if the culture was as different from life here in the U.S. as I had been led to believe. So when Robert had the opportunity to go, I was like, yeah, please make this trip happen if you can. And so he was able to do that. And while he was teaching a class in Bangalore, I was able to you know, hang out and, and travel around and see some things. So uh, what did you see? Um, Well, so Bangalore has grown ridiculously fast in the last 15 to 20 years because of technology. And there are definitely some historic sites in and around Bangalore. So I think every major city has a big bull temple because uh, the bull is so uh, iconic in the Hindu religion. So I went to a temple that is this massive, larger-than-life statue of a bull that was very impressive. There were...
0: that's Sorry, that's a little bit appropriate given that you uh, currently live near Durham.
1: In the Bull City, that's right. correct, yes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and then there also are some, uh, a couple of palaces in Bangalore. There's the Bangalore Palace and the, the Tipul Sultan Summer Palace. Both were built by the same ruler um the summer palace is very traditional in architecture the the bangalore palace on the outside is a pretty close replica of windsor castle in england (laughs) but on the inside is much more um indian in architecture and decor
0: interesting is that related to the british uh uh, rule over india
1: yes colonial that it was um you know, impacted during the colonial period, most definitely. Gotcha. Uh,
0: now, you mentioned that uh, uh, Bangalore has grown because of technology, mm-hmm. um, which actually gets to, like we said, there is, other than it being interesting, there is a sort of more proximate reason for us discussing this on the show, which is while you were there, you had a chance to in, interact with some of the technologists in, uh, in Bangalore.
1: Exactly. So um, when I found out I was going, I knew that... Cognitech had some contacts there. A, a couple of folks that I reached out to, we um, have some, have had some interaction with Nalenso, which is a consultancy there in Bangalore. And there is growing and fairly consistently active closure meetup group in Bangalore. So I reached out to them directly just to introduce myself and and I find out if there was going to be a meetup while I was there. So, and people welcomed me with open arms. It was pretty amazing to know that I could go halfway around the world. And and because of working at Cognitech and because of being affiliated with the closure community, people were waiting to help me and to welcome me. So then the Lenzo folks... Open their offices, which they like to do if you're passing through Bangalore and and need consistent Wi-Fi or want to talk about closure, Certainly connect with them before you go because they they view themselves as a hacker's bed and breakfast, so to speak. (laughs) So they invited me to their offices and I hung out there for a day and caught up on some emails and went to lunch and met folks there. And that's doubly exciting because several of them are coming to the conge next week. So I'll get to reconnect and see them again.
0: Wow, that's quite a trip.
1: Yeah, it is. And then the meetup group also convened while I was there and, and asked me to come. And I had some time to talk to them about how they're using closure and, and what's going on here in the U.S. And, and it was very interesting to be able to have that sense of community that far away from home
0: so i'm interested in some of uh, what you found out uh you know like uh and i mean i don't know whether to start with similarities or differences i imagine that there are both when you uh look at the communities obviously the internet means that to some degree we can all be on the same page as to what's Mm -hmm. what's happening but then of course you know we're still humans and that's still there's an element of locality in that so did you observe I'm sure you did what, what you know what was different what was the same
1: in terms of culture or in, in well, terms of software
0: really anything I'm just like what is, you know you went you got to hang out with closure what do we call ourselves closureians closureists anyway you got to hang out with closure right. people in Bangalore and and you're like oh okay some things were exactly like the things that I experienced in the U.S. when I interact with closure people and some things were were different and I wonder if you had any mm-hmm. uh, any insight there
1: um, I think interacting with closurists is very, very similar. I felt immediately at home in the Nolenzo offices. It is being in their office is not unlike being in our office <laughs> um, here in Durham. It, they have open spaces. People sit together to work. Um, you know, it isn't a traditional cube farm. It isn't their office is actually in a house. And so, you know, people were comfortable and relaxed physically in their space, and that was very apparent to me. I thought the, the meetup folks were very open and willing to talk about what they were doing and, and how they had come to closure and, you know, whether or not they were using it at work. I think that where closure is in India is maybe... A little behind where we are in the U.S., but it's certainly a phase of closure growth that I have seen in my time here at Cognitect. Many of them are still using closure in their hobby projects. Some of them are still, you know, I think a lot of people have introduced closure by way of building a tool that really helped their team out in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. And, and once you sneak that in, you can start convincing people that closure is a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Many of them were at that phase of closure use. And then there were a few of them that were using um, closure in production every day. Mm. And you know, they shared some of the companies that weren't necessarily represented in the room, but that they knew about Infosys as a very large company. In India, and they are openly using Closure. Uh, the ThoughtWorks team there—they have a small Closure team, and they're using Closure apps internally for operational things like time tracking and and the kinds of um, activities that are necessary to run a consultancy. And then there were startups who—you um, know—there was somebody in the room who was starting a new job on Monday with. A startup that isn't public yet, um, and he had been hired because he could lead a closure team. Hmm. So things are evolving there. Um, there's still, you know, a lot of really enterprisey kinds of organizations there. Uh, the signs were all over the office buildings, and we've all seen that those organizations are slower to adopt than more nimble risk-taking organizations, and I think the same is true in Bangalore as it is in the U.S.
0: Yeah, we were talking about this the other day in an internal chat room about, you know, some people had come, come, come back from some conferences overseas, and they, mm-hmm. they saw that the, the you know, it's it's funny, right? I mean, it, it's easy sometimes to forget that closure's coming up on six years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty new. I mean, Rails is, or sorry, Ruby, I think, is almost 20 years old, right and it was only in the last few years where, at least from my perspective, it was no longer considered like a fringe technology and you'd mm-hmm. see, you know, lots of companies go, oh, Rails, sure, that's one of the thing, one of the normal mainstream uh, things, at least at some organizations. It's hard mm-hmm. to quantify these things, but, you know, we see the same thing now where like this year, this last year in particular, that it's it's picked up, right? Like we're, we're seeing more mainstream, it's less less work to convince people that it's not insane, you know, it's in a uh, it's in the adopt quadrant of the ThoughtWorks radar, although I can't remember which year that happened, if that was 2014 or 2013. But, yeah,
1: but all these signs 90, of maturity,
0: yeah. right? And uh, mm-hmm. then you, you go to another place in the world, and it's like, well, you see the same thing. And, of course, we nobody knows the future. We don't know, you know, is it going to continue the same sort of exponential feeling growth in those places that we've seen in the U.S.? But, you know, I mean, it certainly looks familiar. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the meetup, did somebody present or did you present or was it more of a a, more of a hey what's what's going on with closure in your life
1: (laughs) so I was more of a casual presenter I I, you know definitely people had questions about how closure is being used here in the U.S. and what it's like to work at Cognitech and and so I did um, answer some questions around those kinds of things and then the one of the organizers of the group had prepared a presentation on bootstrapping closure apps
0: Mm, okay
1: so um shantanu kumar did speak to the group on a technical topic cool um and that was once again an environment i was very comfortable and familiar with there was good conversation and people challenged thought um in the group and when that happened other people presented their way of thinking and i think that there was a really good Interchange in the room that led to some people learning some new techniques that they hadn't really thought thought about before, and other people getting to share some good work they had already done.
0: So is is I know you were in Bangalore. Is mm-hmm. is that I'm woefully ignorant of um, uh, Indian geography and demographics. Is that mm-hmm. like the technology capital of India, or is it one of many? Or
1: so in the last fifteen years. Bangalore has shifted from being known as the Garden City of India to being known as the Silicon Valley of India. Hmm. So all of the major, you know, Microsoft, Oracle, all of those companies have Bangalore offices, and there are many, many startups as well.
0: Uh, are there? Did you get a sense whether there are other areas in in, in, so I guess I'm wondering, like, if you get to go back and you get to mm-hmm. go to some other city, is it, you know, are you would you think you'd be able to do the same thing, or was is Bangalore sort of unique in in uh, in India right now in that respect?
1: I think that, I mean, I'm sure there are pockets in other places. Pune is, you know, some of the people in at the meetup had worked in that city before. Some some people that we know here at Cognitech have businesses that are headquartered in Pune. But I think that in terms of real concentration of technology, Bangalore is the place to be.
0: Okay. So in other words, it was a good first stop.
1: It was a good first stop. India is extremely interesting that there are so many regions that have their own personalities. So going to any one city in India would probably not be the way I, you know, I I would like to go somewhere else before um, my life is over, certainly. So um, I would gladly go back to another region. I would gladly go back to Bangalore if I had that opportunity. But um, I definitely would take the opportunity to go back to another region of India.
0: So I know we have listeners around the world. And I wonder whether any of them are sitting there right now saying, hey, Kim, please come to my city. Please come to whether it's Singapore or Xi'an or wherever in the world. Mm-hmm. Is that the sort of thing that we have uh, any any plans? To, I know in this case it was a trip you took with your husband, but is that the right. sort of thing that we would be interested in having a conversation about or that we have a structure for, for supporting?
1: So I don't know. You know. As a small company, I don't know if we have – the structure for supporting it. From my perspective, is it useful to us on the recruiting front and on the community front? I definitely see it as useful. I definitely would like to put my name on the list as the person to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of fun for me to, personally, to, to get out and see what people are doing all around the world, both professionally and culturally. How was the jet lag? The jet lag was really terrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. (laughs) Um, Going over there was better than coming home. Uh, The flights over, we had two flights that were um, overnight. So we flew from Raleigh-Durham to London, and then we had an eight-hour layover and flew from London to Bangalore. And so we arrived at four o'clock in the morning. And by the time we got to our hotel, it was, you know, six ish and took a little nap, had a shower and then pretended that we were okay and got up and had a day. (laughs) And so it was, you know, pretty easy to adapt going over there, coming back. I've been home for two weeks and this week is really the first time I've felt human.
0: Yeah. I've been to Asia a few times myself and it looks like I'll be going again uh, Mm -hmm. this coming summer in 2015. And uh, it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, you're probably far tougher than I am when it comes to missing sleep and uh, I'm not very good at it. So it's always a challenge for me, but uh, it's great that you were able to adjust and and have what sounds like a really uh, interesting and, and uh, fruitful trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it was great. We, we did some cultural things. We, we went to a play while we were there. That was a very interesting experience. Mm, how so? So it was a Russian satire written by Nikolai Gogol during the Russian Revolution. And the the theme was corruption in local government. Hmm. It was performed by an Indian acting company who and performed in English. So it was... Very interesting at how universal topics are mm. and how timeless topics are. Now, the the really cool thing about this acting company is they added local jokes and really updated the satire to be relevant in today's world. And so I, that really contributed to the timelessness of the work for me. Uh, it, you know, just had a little facelift and and things were much fresher. You know, as is kind of classic when you're watching a movie where someone speaks something other than the language the movie's in and people get excited or angry or emotional, they start speaking in their native language. That happened in this play, but that in itself is a universal thing. You know, when you get stressed, you revert to what you know best. (laughs) Um, And so even even though there were times when we didn't get the full gist of the jokes, Mm. it was still really entertaining. And it was really enjoyable just to watch the audience when it when it came to a part where we didn't get the joke completely. Yeah, because they were just in the laughing in the aisles. (laughs) So it was a lot of fun.
0: I'm reminded a little bit, you know, of like, it's like quite the same thing when I go to see Shakespeare and it takes me the first, whatever, five, ten minutes to um to start to track the Elizabethan English. Right. But then, you know, you're, you're kind of catching on, although I'm sure I'm not getting, like you said, I'm sure I'm not getting all the jokes as somebody who's really well educated on the... Shakespearean humor would, you know, just because right. I don't know all of the 35 euphemisms for body parts that he used in the right. play or whatever.
1: Uh, you know, but the main themes of the of the play itself were very universal. Local government officials who divert funds into their kind of their own for their own use and or for their pet the use of their pet projects. So those things were not foreign at all to anyone in the audience. I think. Hmm. Cool. Well, so that was fun. And the, the other part of that is I'm involved with a not for profit theater here in the US. And I actually got to meet someone to talk a little bit about how their theater runs there in India. And it was, you know, that was really interesting to make some comparisons there. Would
0: you like to, would you like to plug your theater group?
1: Yeah, I'm on the board of directors for the North Carolina Theater, which is a professional not-for-profit theater in the Raleigh-Durham area. It's based in Raleigh, whose mission is to preserve the American musical and to educate the community and to grow new theater lovers and goers by educating children in musical theater.
0: Awesome. Well, I, since you're going to be writing the show notes, I'm sure that there will be a link to that uh, <laughs> with extensive information in the show notes.
1: And kind of the the technology thing that I've done with the theater is we actually were the out-of-town run for Nerds the Musical. <laughs> Nerds
0: the Musical, okay. Which
1: is um, Bill Gates and um, Steve Jobs, <laughs> their, their story. And it is um, slated to open on Broadway shortly. Cool. Yeah, so...
0: Possibly, even as I'm sure you're well aware of the backlog of episodes we have recorded right now, (laughs) quite possibly by the time this goes on the air.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how far away we are from that, but maybe possibly.
0: Okay, well, I want to, so we kind of drifted away from uh, the closure community in Bangalore, which is fine. I think it was an interesting conversation, but Mm -hmm. I do want to make sure that I didn't... Uh, leave out anything that you thought was interesting from that experience. So, was there anything else that you wanted to mention from the about you know uh, uh, getting to immerse yourself in maybe briefly in the closure community in uh, in India?
1: You know, I don't want to overgeneralize. I, I'm not sure how much of this is the closure community and how much of it is people who just generally gravitate to open source on the whole. But just to reiterate how great it was to go almost all the way around the world and have people who were willing to open their offices and and their meetings to me when I'd never met them was just, um, you know, an almost emotional experience because, you know, I grew up in business in a time where keeping things In house was important was far more important than it is in today's world. I think, and so having been with Cognitech for a little more than two years, it still amazes me to be to be welcomed like that inside another business. Cool, Um, and that you know was extremely apparent. Having traveled so far and having never met the folks I um, visited.
0: That's that's very cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what do you what do you think Kim would that make an excellent note on to to sort of close the show down on?
1: I think it would.
0: I think so too. I do want to uh, finish out with a closing question and and I warned you about this one before we before we hit record. <laughs> and I wonder whether anything has percolated to the to the front of your head if not I have a I have a backup question for you, but I like to to close with a question here. I wonder if you could relate a piece of advice. Now this could be either uh, the best piece of advice someone has ever given you, or if you have, you know, I would love to tell, I would love everyone to be able to talk to everyone and say this. I mean, you're talking to quite a few people right now, so uh, what what advice would you like to relay to people? It could be on any topic.
1: So I think if I were giving advice, it would be, well, kind of a couple of things blended together. Pick your battles. <laughs> Pick your battles in life. Pick your ba- battles in your relationships. Pick your battles at work, because life is too short to create stress and unhappiness over things that don't matter in the end. You know, pay attention to the difference between what's urgent and what's important. Mm.
0: You know, that's. I mean, I I uh, I've gotten to a point in my life where I can. I feel like I can start to appreciate both how good that advice is and. How difficult it can be to achieve yeah, that at right, times. Yeah, right,
1: and, and I think uh, for me personally, it took many trips around the sun to, <laughs> to start seeing that. So um, I, I totally get how difficult it can be to get to a place in your life where you can't do that.
0: Well, I love it. I think that's a fantastic thing to leave people on. And I will uh, close by saying thank you so much for coming on the show, Kim. It's, it's really great. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you came and shared your experience india super interesting and also glad that we got a chance to uh introduce you to our listeners and they got a chance to get to know you as i have so thanks a ton for coming on the show
1: thanks for having me
0: oh it was it was great it was certainly our pleasure although you know of course we've now created more work for you (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it was it was been really great so thanks again and uh, we will close there this has been the Cognicast. Been listening to The Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Kim Foster, who produces this show. Yay, Kim! Episode cover art is by Michael parento audio production by Russ Olson. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig andera Thanks for listening.
1: And then I want to set Skype to busy and probably exit
0: HipChat since I didn't see anybody make it shut up. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, there we go. I think, what am I forgetting? The scotch or something? <laughs> no, as, as uh, despite um, what people might naturally assume, I do these shows sober. <laughs>